Welcome into another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host Sam Ostry alongside Ben Dixon. We have a great show for you today. Later in the show, we will be we will be joined by Maryland and football legend um, Boomer Sison. So we're really excited about that. He'll join the show a little bit later. But first, we're going to get talk all Maryland basketball. Of course, Maryland basketball is now seven and zero heading into a top twenty five matchup with Illinois this Friday. We'll talk about Maryland football's game against Rutgers and the bowl bowl projections that we see coming out. But first, Ben, how are you? It's a packed show today. Doing great, Sam. Ready for the show to get on the road. Really excited about our guest later in the show. Uh, been a big fan of Boomers growing up on the radio and on TV, and then obviously his relation to Maryland as well. Should be a great talk there, and uh, just ready to get going here with this Terps talk right now. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with Maryland's ba- Maryland men's basketball, who's now seven and zero. If you told anyone, I think inside the program or outside the program, that this team would be seven and zero through seven games and ranked number twenty two in the entire country in the AP poll, everyone would look at you like you're absolutely crazy. But here they are. Uh, Kevin Willard himself has even said that this team is further along than he would have even expected with the roster he has. But they are playing with a ton of heart, a ton of grit, playing phenomenal defense, holding teams to to really poor three point shooting, contesting closeouts. They're just they're playing so hard and fast paced. Like, how surprising is this to you this early on in the season? And then what are you what do what are your expectations for this team as the year goes on? It's it really is incredibly surprising because yes, Louisville's and seven, really bad team. Seems like the effort wasn't there last night. But regardless of that, um, you look at the games where they played against Miami and St. Louis, and they just killed them. I mean, this team is on a different weight class than teams that rank in the 30s and 40s in the country, and they're they're just outclassing them in pretty much every aspect of the game. And I cannot say and I don't think you can either, Sam, that we expected this at all. I mean, this team was projected to finish, what, 10th or 11th preseason in the Big Ten, and they've completely blown away everyone's expectations. They've yet to even be tested. Closest win was, what, 16 points against Coppin State, and that was kind of just going through the motions after Thanksgiving. Uh, they didn't even practice the day before. So just really incredibly, incredibly impressed with this team right now. Starting five has been excellent. I think you bring in Jameer Young to run that point guard position. He's really getting better with the offense each game, uh, night in and night out. Um, he's getting the the handle. He's getting a good handle of the offense. And, you know, Dante Scott, not enough can be said about him and, and his progression over the offseason. He's really turned into, you know, this first team all Big Ten player that we might expect to see at the end of the year that Willard expected to see when he got to Maryland. So I think between the two of them and then you add in, Julian Reese's progression didn't even have a big game last night. Maryland still killed Louisville. And then Hakeem Hart as well, taking the step in his senior year. You know, we we talk about these individual players all the time, but I think the way they're coming together, the way they're learning Willard's system, because none of these guys knew how to play under Kevin Willard except Jahari Long, who transferred from Seton Hall, and he comes off the bench. It's been really, really impressive. And, yes, this team is ahead of schedule. And I, the goal right now is, you know, compete in the top half of the – or top four of the Big Ten and – compete to uh, make an NCAA tournament. So this team has has blown away our expectations so far, I think, speaking on behalf of myself and you there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what's so impressive about it. It's not just that they're 7-0. It's that they're destroying teams, and they haven't been in a close game all year. Their margin of victory is 22 through seven games. It's top 20 in the entire country. That's what's been so impressive about it. And, you know, Kevin Willard is an intense dude. Like, he, he's all about it attitude and and he's a really like hard hard nosed guy tough guy to play for but his team has completely taken on his personality they play tough they play hard and his teams at Seton Hall were always 
not always pretty offensively, but they were going to lock in defensively. And that's exactly the type of team that Maryland has become now. I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the experience that he has. You know, when you come into a new place, a place that really needed to be revitalized, and we'll talk about this Illinois game coming up and what it could mean for the program uh, this coming Friday. But when you when you come into a program that's pretty much dead, like based on everything that happened last season, worst year in, in 30 years, I believe, um, in terms of their record, worst record they had in almost 30 years. You know, this is a program that was pretty much dead. And he needs to re- revitalize the program, the fan base, the culture, all of it. And through seven games, there's so much excitement around the culture. And, and that's really what it's around the team. And, and that's really what it's about for him. Um, and I think he's done that because of the senior experience he has. You know, if he was taking over a young a young group of guys, like a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, it may not be easy to instill your culture into them. But this is a, like, we're talking about grad grad transfer, uh, Don Carey. Grad transfer, excuse me. Um, Jameer Young, senior. Hakeem Hart, senior. Dante Scott, obviously Julian Reese is a sophomore, but he's not. This isn't first his first year playing college basketball, so it's a really experienced group, and that's kind of what what's made the the culture shift and the buy in easier for Willard, I think. But it's just been really impressive how he's immediately come into a program. And, you know, I saw a tweet yesterday. I think you saw it too. You might have sent it to me, actually. But it was like Louisville and Maryland were in very similar spots yeah. a season ago. Coach gone midway through the season. They need to find the right guy to revitalize a once proud program and take it over. And look where Maryland is through seven games, 7-0. and And look where Louisville is through seven games, 0-7. And, and it's pretty clear that they found the right guy. Um, it doesn't really matter what happens over the next five, ten years. Because the fact is they needed someone to to re to re-excite a fan base and a program and even in year one we saw it in the recruiting he's already done it with the recruiting he has a top 15 recruiting class for next year but he's done it in year one with how hard everyone's playing how fun this team is to watch play it's not a boring team getting up and down the floor this is a team that's playing with the pressing full court defensively they're playing with a ton of pace shooting a ton of threes and just playing so hard and the buy-in is so there and it's really just been impressive and fun to watch Look, he gets it in in every aspect. He knows the fan base he's appealing to. He knows what job he was taking on. And through seven games, he's aced the test. You know, killing Louisville on the road. Yes, Louisville's 0-7, but I don't think the fan base necessarily would have felt comfortable going on the road against a much worse team and taking care of business like they did in years past. I think he's provided kind of a new sense of comfort to these fans. The expectations are higher. And I think the number one thing, you know, you've written about it. I've written about it. We've talked about it on this podcast is just the intensity on, on all aspects in all aspects of the game, excuse me, especially on the defensive end. And to me, I think that's something that has started with Dante Scott, Sam, in, in your film review, you had a lot of great stuff there about him. I think his defensive intensity, and I texted you about this during the game last night, we, we've talked about it in depth. The way he's closing out on three-point shooters, the way he's contesting shots, forcing bad shots, he's you know the leader of this team undoubtedly, the best player of this team, and he's setting the tone on the defensive end, and these guys are following, and they're really feeding off Kevin Willard, too. You, you see Kevin Willard on the sideline yesterday. They're up 20, 21 points, and he looks disheveled when someone makes a defensive yeah. error. It, the, the defensive intensity is unbelievable, and it's, it's allowing this team to thrive on offense, get opportunities in transition, shoot better on three-pointers like they did in the second half uh, compared to the first half yesterday. It, I, In my opinion, the defensive intensity has just changed everything for this yeah. team. And look, when your stars buy in, yep. that's that's when 
you, you know you have something special because the rest of the team will buy in if your stars buy in. Of course, that starts with Dante Scott. And that starts with the very first conversation that Willard and Scott had about what's your ceiling, what's your ultimate goal, which of course is to, to play in the NBA. And he needs to lose a lot of weight. We've talked about this a bunch. He's reportedly lost uh, close to 27 pounds, cut his body fat by down 7%. But you talked about the, the film that I broke down. I did a did a film breakdown on Dante Scott's game. And I was watching clips from last year to, to this season. It was honestly jarring. To see, I mean, I could give yeah. you the numbers. Like he was, he was in the seventh percentile in terms of his uh, defensive efficiency. I believe the stat was, or just defensive points per possession, which is which is horrible. Obviously, you want to be higher. You want to be towards the nineties. And and this season, he's around. He's in the eighties, I believe. So it's a huge jump in his defensive intensity. That's just what the numbers say. But then you watch the film. And it's like, holy, he was late to so many closeouts. His, his back was turned to his defender. He wasn't even paying attention. He was barely moving. And I don't know if that's uh, an effort thing. I don't know if that was a like an in-shape thing because it was later in the year, a lot, of, a lot of the film I was watching from. But this season, it's been completely different. He is playing so hard defensively, and, it, and it's making his life easier on the offensive end offensive end too he's closing out hard he's in the right spots he's not ball watching near as much he's just more focused and more locked in and it's it's so obvious the transformation in his body and of course that's translating to his game you know like he wasn't a good three-point shooter last year because he had to work for a lot of shots and was jacking them up and and he just he regressed in terms of his three ball last year and now it's back up now he's become another phenomenal three-point three-point shooter and and that's why he's such a matchup nightmare in a three-level score because he can knock down that three ball in the transition on the pick and pop but he can also take you in the mid post go to his uh, right hook which he loves to shoot as we all Bread know and butter. um yes it certainly is and and he can score in so many ways. He can also take you off the dribble. That's why he's such a matchup nightmare, nightmare, and he's the best player on this team. And he's bought in. So when when he buys in, you know the rest of the team is going to buy. Without a doubt. I mean, he's shooting 43.3% from three, over 50% from the field. Three-level score, matchup nightmare. Those are the exact terms I've used, or I would use to uh, describe kind of his offensive game so far. Sam, I kind of wanted to bring up one more player here when talking about this offense. And briefly mentioned him before, but Jameer Young looking more comfortable day in and day out. He, I think he was the game MVP last night on, on Ken Palm. He, you know, shooting the ball at a little bit of a, a better rate now. What did he have? 15 points last night, five for seven on twos, one for three on threes, five rebounds, five assists. Uh, I think last night was his, his highest amount of assists in a Maryland uniform. But I think what this guy does, not only as a scorer, which he was at Charlotte primarily, but how he's kind of translated here at Maryland to becoming an all-around player. I mean, this guy is, is rebounding the ball at an amazing rate. You saw the tip-in he had last night where he kind of just flew in, grabbed it right off the cylinder, and put it in with like two fingers. He His all-around game as the point guard and showing that effort in, in all facets of the game, just like Dante has, but as the point guard and as the general of the offense, he's really setting the tone as well, and I think he's kind of been a, a revelation to Maryland's offense success too. Yeah, he's it's really been impressive to watch him play. He's turned into a completely true point guard after kind of being more of a scoring guard at Charlotte because that's what they needed him to do. Yep. Like you said, he's rebounding the ball well. He's passing the ball well. Even when he doesn't have the ball, because sometimes Hakeem Hart is initiating, sometimes Scott is initiating. Even when he doesn't have the ball, he's moving so well um, on back cuts, just creating space for other guys. Of course, he's a great passer. Um, he can snake in the lane, hit up a pull up for a mid-range jumper. You can get to the rim, finish with both hands. He's really been impressive to watch. And a lot of people weren't sure if that would translate from a lower level conference at, at Charlotte to, to the big 10. And of course he hasn't really played big 10. He hasn't played any big 10 competition yet, but he still has impressed against power five opponents um, and who are physical and have tried to get physical with him. And, and he's been fun to watch, but 
the one guy who just nobody ever talks about, who, who deserves so much more love than he will ever get, is Hakeem Hart, yep. who has been phenomenal this season. Um, I, there's he's he's just like he, everyone was talking about him being like the X factor in the last couple of years, and and he was so inconsistent. Sometimes he had that thirty point game a couple of years ago, and sometimes he would have like a fifteen point game that followed up with a two point game. He's been so consistent this season, knocking down threes at a, at a high rate. Being an aggressive scorer, he's always been a phenomenal defender, um, a per- perimeter defender. He's been probably the the most surprising development for for Maryland this season is how consistent Hakeem Hart's been, and 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 that goes to Willard's credit because he's putting him in those positions where he's trailing on a three on and knocking it down. Sometimes as the ball handler in pick and roll situations, but he can also play as the roller. Like he is a legitimate guard slash forward. Yeah, and so his. His just growth over the last few seasons, and now he's a consistent player where every game he should be, and and he has been the last few in double figures. It's that's been the most impressive thing. And then this whole whole starting lineup is just so well constructed. When, yeah, when you really think is. about it, we talked about Jameer Young, we talked about Dante Scott and, and Hakeem Hart, Don Carey, who hasn't had the best shooting season, even though we've we've seen a few good games from him. He is a sniper, and you can see it with his stroke. And when he gets hot, he's a true shooting guard. Um, and so that, that he compliments them well. And of course, you have Julian Reese, who isn't the biggest guy. And, and it'll be a tough test when he's got some physical bigs in the Big Ten, uh, like Zach Eady, like Hunter Dickinson, those type of guys. But he, he is a legitimately good physical big. And you see the growth that he's taken um, from year to year, too. 100%. Just back to your point about Akeem, even last night when he's not starring offensively, I think he only had nine points, took five shots. The way he impacts the game in other aspects, we know about his defense on and off the ball on the perimeter as well. Two steals last night, had a block, and then four assists, only one turnover last night as well. Yes, he's not going to be the guy that gets necessarily the the love and the flashiness as guys like maybe Jameer or, or um, excuse me, Dante Scott or even Juju Reese when he's having big games. But he is equally as important to this team's success. And just the way he's developed since his freshman year from now is it's been amazing to watch, you know, since he started at Maryland to now really becoming such an impactful player, a guy that plays at an all Big Ten level at at points. And he's just consistent and plays winning basketball 100 percent of the time. Yeah, when, look, when you're seven and zero, and then you're beating teams by an average of twenty two points, there's gonna be a lot of praise to go around. And so yep. I have one more, one more guy that we have to mention. And and you know, when you look at this bench, that was the biggest question mark, and I think it still is even the biggest question mark. We all even heard Hunter Dickinson say it, that he likes the starting five, but he doesn't he doesn't believe in this team because they don't have a lot of depth. And he's not exactly wrong, even if Maryland fans want to want to give him a hard time, and I'm sure they will when he comes to College Park this year. But he's not he's not exactly wrong. You know, the, the weakest part of this team is the depth. The eight man rotation is kind of rounded up to be Ian Martinez on the coming off the bench, um, along with Jahari Long and Patrick Emelian. That's kind of been the the eight guys, and sometimes Noah Bachelor will play dispersed minutes. But when it really comes down to it, I don't think he'll be a part of that eight man rotation. But and that is the weakest part, you know, as the season goes on and as this goes along and as the starters have to play heavy minutes, it will be difficult for kind of these guys to 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 replace them off the bench because it's it's not the most outstanding bench and they do lack depth. But I sell that to say that the jump that Ian Martinez has taken from year to year has or from last year to this year has been really impressive. This is a guy last year who came in and was good, was supposed to be a legitimate depth piece um 
our, our legitimate bench piece for Mark Turgeon's squad. And he came in and just wasn't very good. He wasn't shooting the ball consistently. He was sloppy as, as a ball handler, turning the ball over. His footwork was off, shooting poor shots. And, you know, Mark Turgeon wasn't the coach by that point. But Danny Manning took, took over, and he was benched. He was completely fell out of the rotation. He, he didn't really see the court for a long stretch. He had an injury there. But his his jump this season now where he's he's gotten in double figures multiple times he hasn't had the best shooting season but he showed he can knock down open three his footwork and his control is so much better so just the development that that Kevin Willard has done on all these guys that's the kind of the theme we're touching on here in just eight months and how he's got them to bought in to buy in since he's been here since April it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen in maybe the sport and and, and that might be an exaggeration but it's been really impressive in eight months he's gotten all these guys to, to buy in and develop because look he when you take over a program like Marion like you have a lot of obligations and it's not necessarily working with the players every single day to help them develop especially guys that aren't your guys like this he's not the architect of this team he took over this roster and, and added a few transfers but he's not the one who recruited most of these guys to Maryland so to get them to buy in and and develop them like we've seen them and the jump that we've seen from a lot of these guys I don't I, like I'm really like at a loss for words for how impressive it's been and we'll see how the rest of the season goes but through seven games there's nothing but positive things to say nothing but positive things to say you know I asked Willard post game last night about these fast starts and the fact he's only trailed for less than three and a half minutes all year he goes as a coach you like it but I'm sure it's not going to last and you know the the praise right now is is heavy from us as it should be and and we'll see if it can continue going to this four game stretch yes. wanted to add the, the one point on Ian that you mentioned I think the biggest difference from him offensively from this year to last year is just confidence. You know, he's driving to the hoop. He's taking threes with a lot more confidence. He just looks like a completely different player night and day from at least the beginning of last season. I think we saw toward the end, he started to take a little bit of a jump uh, and maybe to the player that we expected him to be when he came to Maryland. But this year we're fully seeing that and he's, you know, becoming as a bona fide six man for this team. Yeah, and that, that's good leeway. Your point earlier about the the what Willard said is that it's not going to continue, and and it's certainly not because this is the four game stretch that everyone circled on their calendar, um, to kind of watch out and potential zero and four stretch before the season. People were saying, I don't think people think that's going to be the case anymore. But no one thought they'd be coming seven zero into this four game stretch, and it's really difficult. And it starts with Illinois this Friday night. Then they're going to go on the road to Wisconsin next week, and then they play Tennessee at the Barclays Center in New York. And then they wrap up that four-game stretch with UCLA at home. So, you know, UCLA, Tennessee, Illinois, those are all ranked teams. Um, Wisconsin on the road is, is never easy. You know, that's this is going to be really difficult. It's a difficult four-game stretch. If they can somehow come out of it, even two and two, I think people will be impressed. Um, you know, we're going to find out a lot about this team and a lot about, I think, the, the depth of this team um, in terms of the, the bench pieces that we were talking about earlier. We're going to find that out a lot over the next couple of weeks here. But let's let's talk about the first first matchup of that four game stretch, which which is Illinois, and I know we're both really excited. Friday night, nine p.m. tip, I believe, on the Big Ten Network, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, on the Big Ten Network. Um, it's it's a late tip, but hopefully, college basketball fans around the country will get to watch. And you know, we've talked about this, Ben. We've been going to a lot of games, uh, for a few years now, both as media, both as fans. The Xfinity Center has been dead for a while now since before the pandemic started it's been almost embarrassing to see how lack of how the lack of fan support um and we understand it of course because look you, you have you, you have your worst season in decades last season you have the coach you, you hire a new coach which 
nobody was necessarily home run high or anything. People said, okay, maybe a good hire. He's proven track record, but he wasn't a coach that immediately brought excitement to the fan base. So early on this season, it wasn't great. But now you're ranked. You're you're exceeding all type of ex- types of expectations that were set before the season. You have a top 25 matchup on a Friday night, and I'm expecting the Xfinity Center to be pre-pandemic levels when when that Maryland team was a top five team in the country, and and those games were rocking. You know, John Rothstein said it would be it's going to be Coachella there Friday night. It might <laughs> be a stretch, but um, it, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. And I know we're both. There's no way to... he's ever been there, by the way. Oh, to Coachella, no shot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah you talk about friday night I, I look i hope the crowd is, is really rocking i think the student section at least will be you look at online and there was some some great twitter discourse yesterday with uh testudo dave who's, who's a follower and um jeff Ehrman over at 247 sports showing the amount of tickets available for the game in general public at, at both in the lower and upper bowl for tomorrow and it, there are a lot of tickets available like I don't know necessarily what the problem is because, you know, we're not marketing guys. We're not in there every day trying to figure out, look, how do we fill seats? But look, it's 9 p.m. Friday night, nationally ranked matchup. The program's back on the map for the first time in, in three years. It should be a sellout, Sam. Like this, I get I get that it's early in the year, but it, look, what more could you ask? No one's working at 9 p.m. on a Friday and it, it could be your first taste of, of getting tired. Though. <laughs> yeah, people could be tired, but, you know, they they. I don't know. I did... no, no. I I I pushed back on on that. Uh, like the sell the the sellout notion or or the screenshots of the seats available because I think those are a little fraudulent at times. Um, I I expect this. I don't I don't know if it's going to be a, a legitimate official sellout, but I think it's going to be a packed environment. At least the student section from the excitement that we we've heard yeah. around the students. You know, a lot of students are making their first appearance in years probably to a game uh this season. I think the student sections are going to be packed to the absolute brim, which we haven't seen in some time. Um, I think even the alumni bases is really going to show. I expect it. Scott Van Pelt tweeted he's going to be in the building Friday night. Yeah, really that's that's that like he doesn't come to games unless it's it's a huge game. The only game he came to last year was the Ohio State game where they honored the 2002 national championship team, which was a great crowd. But it's been it's been a long time since there's been excitement around this program. And I, I think it's going to be electric and I think it's going to be packed. I don't know about official seller. I don't know if a few seats in the 200 might not, might be available. But I think this is going to be uh, w- one of those games where you're like win or lose, like Maryland basketball is back. Once you see the atmosphere, once you see how electric it is, you know, this Xfinity Center was ranked for years. It feels like years ago now, but it was ranked as a top 10 college basketball venue. Um, according to most people who've been all around the country and, and most reporters and media outlets. So I think it, this is going to be the official game where it's like win or lose, assuming they don't get blown out and get embarrassed or anything, win or lose. You're looking around the stadium, like the excitement around this program right now that Willard's brought back to Maryland basketball. Like this program is back. Yeah. And then, you know, what better opponents you do it against? I mean, Look, Maryland's not going to have any true rivals in the Big Ten. They don't now, maybe not for a little while. But in terms of basketball, Maryland and Illinois have had some really good matchups over the year. And Maryland is, you know, kind of owned Illinois in, in, in a it's sense. It's not kind of. It's Turgeon. Yeah. Turgeon used to own them. Yeah, that was, it was the narrative. Four, I think, what, four, four of the last five? And then let me go through the record here. Uh, four and two, five and two, six and two, seven and two, eight and two. Eight and two since the 2015-16 season against Illinois. So this is a team that the program has had success against. Brad Underwood still at Illinois. Obviously, Maryland looks a little bit different. But Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, these guys have had success against Illinois. 
Yeah, and look, Illinois is a really good team. They're going to be one of the contenders in the Big Ten, and Maryland might just be as well. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. Do you want? Do we want to do predictions real quick? Yeah, yeah. Let's do. Let's do. Let me dive into a couple keys here. I think you know everyone's talking about the the front court depth all year, regardless of of Juju's jump. You know, if he gets in foul trouble, I think Maryland's going to be in, in some trouble here, just given you know everything that's happened. I think Illinois is a really good front court. They Matt Meyer over from Baylor now. He's six nine, kind of a, a stretch for uh, Coleman Hawkins at center has really progressed every year. And then Dane Danger, 6'9", 270, coming off the bench is going to be a, a load to deal with for... Uh, yeah, and, and real quick, bef- well. before you go to your next key, you know, that's something we kind of looked at in that Louisville matchup was Julian, because he has looked more dominant in the post, more physical rebounding the basketball, more physical defensively, but he really hasn't played a lot of good bigs. We kind of looked... Um, in that Louisville matchup, because not a good team, but they're very, very big front court. And we, we, you know, he was, he's kept up his, his levels of physicality, but there was times where, you know, he, he didn't look the same in terms of his post moves. He couldn't get to the spots he wanted to. So I think we're going to, this is another game where you're looking at that Julian Reese matchup where you're right. If he gets in foul trouble, it could be ugly for Maryland, but I'm just looking at the physicality that he brings and, and just the post presence that he'll have against, like you said, quality bigs. Yeah, and, and look, we'll learn a lot more about where this Maryland team stands front court wise against a team like Illinois uh, moving forward. I think I think that's probably the number one key for me. And then I think just a, a player to watch Illinois wise is Terrence Shannon, the transfer from Texas Tech. Really, is just absolutely starred for Illinois. Big big threat from the perimeter. Five for fifteen from three against Syracuse last night. Who's shooting fifteen threes in a game, Sam? That is ridiculous yeah. at the college level and I I think what eight for nine against UCLA and in, in Vegas too and Maryland's perimeter defense has been really really good this year you've talked about it I've talked about it it's going to be a big test because Terrence Shannon's a superstar and they're going to have to contain him from deep and inside his and you know other aspects of his game as well uh prediction wise uh I think Ken Palm has Maryland winning this one 74 71 right now Illinois 15 in the country Maryland's 18 we won't have a actual betting line until later in the week. I don't know, Sam. I've been kind of wavering back and forth about this prediction. I think it's going to be an ultra-competitive game. I think the crowd's going to have a major impact. I actually think Maryland's going to to win this game. I'm going to go Maryland by two. Um, Let's go Maryland 70, Illinois 68. That'll be my uh, my final prediction there. Okay, yeah, I I, I do agree. I I like your keys about the front court, but I'm also looking – to see if Maryland's going to kind of press, you know, they've been playing with a lot of pace and and start. And when they play with pace, it really starts defensively. It's, it's when they're getting up in that full court press. I think that, you know, Illinois is a pretty complete team, but, and, and we talk about their front court, but they do have a good backcourt too. I think though, that this could be a team that, that Maryland can kind of speed up the ball handlers, mess up their half court, even if it's not a full court, really aggressive press, maybe pick up full court man to man and kind of just get them out of their sets uh, once they get into the half court, because that's sometimes sometimes presses aren't necessarily to create turnovers; they're just to kind of create chaos for the offense and and make make the shot clock already down to like twenty seconds by the time you cross half court, or or sometimes even less. So I think Maryland's going to do that, um, but it will be interesting to see see if they press. I think that'll be interesting. I I, I think this is going to be a really close game too. <laughs> I'm really like I think Maryland's going to get out to the fast start because I do think that intensity from the crowd and the electric atmosphere that we were talking about, I think that's going to show up. But I do think Illinois is going to settle down. It'll be interesting to see Maryland play it in a close game. You know, they like you said earlier on the show, they've played with leads almost the entire 
um, the entire season. They've trailed for just a couple minutes all season, which is surprising. And it wasn't just that they were playing with leads. They played with large leads too. So I don't think that's going to happen. And it'll be interesting to see them maybe play from behind, maybe play a closer game. Does their, does their style of play change a little bit? Do they get rushed? Do they get more nervous? It, it, it will be interesting to see. I do think Illinois is going to win the game. Um, I, I expect it to be a really close wire-to-wire game. I think these are two pretty even even teams. I don't necessarily think Illinois is the better team, but I think their Maryland's 7-0 run is coming to a halt, and it does happen against Illinois for the first time. Um, this season, I'm going to say 75-71 Illinois. Uh, I think it's going to be a great game. But I do think Illinois wins. And I think Maryland actually goes to Wisconsin and wins. And then I think somehow they finish this four-game stretch two and two. I think two and two as well. I mean, we'll get into the – I don't know where I'm going with my predictions. I think they're going to lose at Wisconsin, though. Um, but we'll see. I, I just want to note this real quick. It's 135 right now. As of three minutes ago, the student section is sold out for Friday's game against Illinois. The team yeah, as, as expected, as it should be. Yep. Hopefully, um, hopefully that place is rocking for uh for that for the team on uh Friday night. Yeah, and I think yeah, I, I I don't care what the ticket says tickets say. I think this it's going to be packed. It's going to be it's going to be one of those games where you're looking around like this is a seven zero Maryland team. This is the atmosphere that people remember from from four three four years ago at the Xfinity Center. People are going to be like Maryland's back. All yeah, right, we'll see. So all right, so let's uh let's talk a little bit about Maryland football. Not too long before Boomer Sison joins us. Um, so Maryland football wrapped up their season. They're officially finished seven and five on the year. They have a dominant, dominant win over Rutgers just destroyed them. We don't really have to get into that much of too much of the game. It was another team that they were favored, favored in, and and they kind of just beat on as as they were expected to. They were favored by 14, I believe before the game. And they, they just dominated them on every facet. Talia had another phenomenal game. Uh, it was senior day and you saw Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun Jones, excuse me. He, he had a phenomenal game. There was a lot of praise to go around, so I don't really want to talk about the Rutgers game too much, but Maryland finished season 7-5. and five. I'm just going to present you with a simple but probably complicated question. Was this Maryland football season successful? I mean, we talk about it pretty much every week, it seems like, and you know the answer changes pretty much every week depending on the mood of Loxley and the mood of the team and the mood of us and the, and the, and the rest of the media, but... I think yes and no. I think you have to start with the the simple yes, just saying you know they improved one game, um, but other but other than that, I think the answer is probably no. Just given the talent we've seen on this team, thirteen guys honored by the Big Ten today, a lot more guys very talented, including you know Jay Sean Jones, uh, Dante Demas, who didn't necessarily you know get honored by the Big Ten. Jay Sean ended as the team's leading receiver, but Dante Demas a little bit of a disappointing year coming back from the injury. This team had a lot of talent at the end of the day, Sam, and I think in order for this season to be considered successful, we said you have to beat one of or multiple of, you know, the top teams in the Big 10. I think with this year's conversation, yes, they beat Michigan State 27-13. They dominated them at home. However, Michigan State stunk this year. They're not going bowling. So let's look at the other teams. Wisconsin Embarrassed on the road, Penn State embarrassed on the road, and you competed with Michigan on the road, and you competed with Ohio State on the road. I think those latter two performances, Ohio State at home, yes, thank you for the correction. Um, you competed with those latter two teams, you know, one being the reigning Big Ten champion and the current Big Ten champion, and the other being a team that's top four in the country pretty much every year, every week. So that you have to take as a success. However, you can't just wipe out 
those performances against Penn State and Wisconsin because those were embarrassing. And I think the fans long term will probably remember those two games and the loss against Purdue, Big Ten West champ, by the way, um, more than those competitive losses to Ohio State and Michigan. So I think for those reasons, given the talent on the team, you had to leave for a third year. You had to beat one of those teams this year and you just didn't. Yeah, that Purdue loss does look a little better now, which that's the loss I I continue to harp on. That was just we'll still harp on it though. It's it's still a terrible loss. It is by now, but it just looks a little bit better when when you're trying to spin it that they are the Big Ten West champion, which Maryland easily could have been, by the way, if they were in the Big Ten West. Probably would have been, to be honest with you, which is just another point that they should and probably will be, definitely will be, it seems, getting rid of divisions. But um, you know, it really is a tough question when you say is was this a successful season? I think before the year we both had them going seven and five. But I also think we thought their schedule was going to be much tougher because we didn't expect Michigan State to be this bad. Um, we didn't even expect Wisconsin to have the season that they were having where they were yeah. that bad for a stretch. And they had to fire their coach um, halfway through the year. And by the way, that I love that Luke Fickle hire. That, that program is going to be turned around pretty soon. Um, little sidebar there. But I do. But when you look at the schedule, it, the season set up where and the talent they were having and the talent that they have, the experience that they had with all the returning starters they brought back, the schedule was setting up for this team could win eight or nine games, especially when you saw them compete with a, with one of the best teams in the country in Michigan early on in the year. And then things kind of just went south in November. You saw them get dominated both on the defensive line, the offensive line. They didn't have any major like catastrophic injuries that you can point to. Um, of course, Ruben Hippolyte was out here and there. Jason Barham was out. Talia dealt with the knee thing the whole year. He was only missed one game, though. There was nothing catastrophic from from any really anyone that you can of course Mason Lunsford missed a couple games in a, in a big stretch against Wisconsin and Penn State where you really need your offensive line but there's nothing you can point to where it was like a major injury they kind of just dropped the ball against teams that that were winnable games and I'm really looking at that Wisconsin game and then less so but even but at the same time that Penn State game you know it's it's tough to kind of look back this soon a few days after the season and with when they still have a bowl game to go but that roster might look very different um, in terms of the in terms of the guys that might declare for the NFL draft between now and then. It's just it's just tough to kind of evaluate whether they took that next step. And I think that's how we that's how we were going to evaluate, not really based on the win or loss record, but if they took that next step where they were competing and potentially beating the top teams in the Big Ten East. And they competed with the two top teams in the Big Ten and the country period, which was impressive. But are people really going to remember that, or are they going to remember? This team got bullied by Wisconsin and Penn State. It was a, it's another, it's another, it's another story year after year with Maryland where you you think that they're going to have the capabilities to compete with some of these top teams and they just get dominated in the trenches. Um, and that and that starts with recruiting and and we'll see if Loxley can turn that around. But you know he needs to if if this is going to con- be considered a successful successful season, it's not going to be looked at right now. It's going to be looked at a year from now. Did they build on that? And that's a really tough question to ask right now because this Maryland team is probably going to be worse next year, in ter- just in terms of talent. I think so as well. I think you have to look at those four games kind of just in the context of when and, and you know the context of the actual games of when they were happening. When they played Ohio State, the team had absolutely nothing to lose coming off three straight – or coming off two straight losses, excuse me, that they were embarrassed on the road. Um, so really nothing to lose there and – you know, everything to gain sort of kind of thing. So, and Ohio State was looking ahead to that Michigan game. So, of course, a little surprised the way they competed or the, that they competed the way they did. But I think it's important to look at that context. With Wisconsin, that was 
that was the biggest game they've probably had since joining the Big Ten, and they fell flat on their face. So I, I, I don't know. For me, just covering the team this season, watching Maryland forever, I, I think I'll probably remember that November 5th game at Wisconsin, that November 12th game at Penn State more than anything because those were two huge opportunities on the road, show that you belong, that you know there's no longer a massive gap between you and the top of the Big Ten as there is between you and Rutgers. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't think they they did anything to convince me otherwise. I get they competed in those two games and they should be applauded for doing so. However, and that Wisconsin game was so big. I, I get the conditions and the same could be said for Penn State, your quote unquote rival who you compete with for recruits. They literally stole one of your blue chip recruits last year and and he made a big sack against Leo Togvello in the game um, at Penn State November 12th. So I think those two games, unfortunately, probably stand out above the rest and you know, and, and, and things like this, it's obviously easier to nitpick the bad than it is the good. But of, of course, those are going to get remembered. Yeah. And it, it's I like I said earlier, you really can't kind of decipher if this was successful season or not, because it depends if they build on it. But in terms of the win loss column, column, they did take a step forward. I mean, they improved their win total yep. in, in the regular season by one, which which is a good sign. But when you talk about what you're going to remember and, and you look at those Wisconsin games where it really was a huge game and. It was poor, really poor weather conditions, windy, rainy, and they just got bullied on the ground, uh, both on the offensive line and the defensive line. But I'm always going to remember that Purdue game where it's like you you have excitement around this program now. You could build on something. Uh, I think they had five wins at the time, and you're at home. That's That was probably, other than Ohio State, when there was a lot of Ohio State fans, that was probably the best atmosphere the Maryland football had at home all season against Purdue. And you have three turnovers. Your defense forces three turnovers in the third quarter, and you can't score a single point on any of them with great field position. Um, your offense was just abysmal that in in that third quarter, and then and then you still have an opportunity late to win in this in the in at the end of the game. You have an opportunity to no to tie it, I believe, on a two point conversion. There's a penalty flag. You have to do it again. You don't get it the second time. It's just it was such a winnable game at home. Good atmosphere. There was kind of there was more excitement around the program at that time than there had been in some time. And they just dropped the ball, and then things kind of spun out of, out of control. Um, in 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 November. So it's 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 that's what I'll remember, and it's just it's winning those big games. Yeah, you can come close, you can you can compete, but Maryland also com- competed at home against Ohio State four years ago, and the program didn't really <laughs> didn't really take much strides in the year after that. So it's it's kind of it's kind of tough whether to evaluate if it was a successful season or not. But I do think in a year or two we'll know um, if it's something they can build off of. Yeah, you have to build build on it. If you build on it next year and finish with eight regular season wins or nine regular season wins and it's an improvement year by year by year then yeah you're inching closer towards taking the next step if you don't you haven't and you know i agree with you on that purdue game if if they i think they were four and one at the time but if they won that game they had indiana and northwestern next and they would have been seven and one going into november which would have completely changed the perception around the program and they would have finished with eight wins on the season which is a lot different than seven no, absolutely. If you're if you're an eight win team instead of seven win town, the narrative and the perception around the program is completely different. But all right, uh, I mean, we, there still is Maryland football talk, and we'll get into the future and this this new class coming up. And as NFL transfer portal guys are announced, and and guys who declare for the NFL announced, we're going to continue to talk Maryland football as the bowl game approaches. And we don't know what the bowl game is yet. Um, reports are that it's probably between the guaranteed rate bowl in Arizona or the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. So I th- reports are also that Damon Evans is pushing for the Duke's Mayo Bowl in um, 
in Charlotte, excuse me, because obviously that's closer closer to Maryland. You get more fans than, than out in Arizona. But we'll see. Well, that bowl game will be announced, I believe, this Sunday, correct? Yes, Sunday, yes. right after the playoff or a few hours after the playoff. They'll find out and then they'll uh, they'll hold the media availability after there. So. Yeah. So, so we'll talk about that next week when we officially know who the bowl, what the bowl game is and who the opponent is and, and the date, of course. And we'll continue to talk Maryland football. But all right, um, we're not we're not done. We we have Boomer Sizing coming up in just a couple minutes. So stay tuned um, and we'll be right back talking with Boomer. Welcome back to the Testudo Times podcast. We are now joined by a very special guest, Maryland football legend Boomer Sison, who is here on behalf of FanDuel. Boomer, we really appreciate you taking the time and joining us. Sam and Ben, it's great to see you guys. I just want to know, did you Google my highlights when I was there? Because you guys weren't alive when I was playing at Maryland. No, we were not, but Talia's been rewriting the history books, So, and he was passing oh, wait, wait, all Tom, your it's records. A different game. Wait a minute, Sam, it's a different game, man. They throw a hell of a lot more. I only threw 25 <laughs> times a game. I don't want to hear this nonsense. No, of course, we had to go against real defenses. You're right. You're right. We'll still count you in, in the records. Don't don't worry, but we appreciate all you right. being here. I appreciate you guys having me on. I always love talking University of Maryland and, of course, Vandal, which is why I'm here. But but started. Ben, What you're? are you a Jet fan, Ben? I am a Jeff fan, Boomer. Unfortunately, I uh, do not remember your days with Maryland and the Jets, but uh, happy we could have a little something in common there as well. That's good. Well, you can always Google the highlights if you can find them, okay? I we have been. We definitely did. That. We okay, definitely good. did. Uh, for, first, first um, we'll get into all things Maryland, Talia, Loxley, everything about that. But first, just you're here on behalf of FanDuel. Can you tell us what you're doing with them and, and the work with them? Well, you know, Maryland uh, now has uh, opened up FanDuel to uh, sports bettors, and uh, it's the 17th state to do that. I've been a partner with them here in New York for about four years. Uh, New Jersey got out in front of New York, and then finally it hit here in New York City, and they're a big sponsor on our WFAN radio show here in New York. And Phil Sims and I are ambassadors for, uh, for, Fran- for FanDuel, and the great thing about FanDuel is that it's safe, it's easy, and it's secure. Uh, you get your money quick. They also have built in within the app ways so you can protect yourself. So you don't bet over your head, you bet with your head. And like I would say to you two guys, if you guys are going to use it, that you should use it together. So you make sure you watch each other and you make sure you do it responsibly. And that's a big reason why I, I do promote the app because look, it was coming, it was going to be legal and I'm glad that it is. But I also want to make sure that young men like you and even older men like me, uh, understand that we bet with our heads responsibly and we do it right. And that's what FanDuel offers to uh, everybody out there as a consumer. Yeah, so it's been about a week um, since since it became legal in Maryland. So everyone go download the FanDuel Sportsbook and, and again, bet responsibly. Um, all right, so let's talk, let's talk Maryland football. Um, they just finished their season seven and five. We're awaiting a bowl game and destination and opponent uh, that'll be announced this Sunday. But they just finished their season seven and five. Uh, the most wins that Mike Loxley has gotten since he's since he's taken over the program. He just finished year four in the regular season. What are your overall thoughts just on the current state of the Maryland football program? I think it's 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 on the come, as they say. Uh, he has uh, closed the gap. You know, watching the Michigan game and Ohio State game and how those games are close. Uh, that tells me all I need to know. You know, I know they, they got shut up by Penn, Penn State, and that's a whole other story for the us old guys that went to Maryland and never beat Penn State. But, you know, you could see that the gap is clothing, closing. And you could see by all the NFL players that are from the University of Maryland that are playing now in the league, especially at the skill positions and at the se- in, and in the secondary, of course. So I think Locks has done a great job recruiting. Um, you know, he got lucky because he got – 
uh, Talia to come to Maryland, and he knew him obviously from his days at Alabama. And you know, once you have that quarterback that you can build that program around, and that quarterback lives up to the billing, uh, then you know you're going to be in a lot of games. And unfortunately, uh, for Talia with the knee injury and everything else, and trying to play through all of that. Um, but I, I think what it does, it sets the foundation that now other players around the country want to come to Maryland because of Tunga Bailoa. And I think that's great. And I think that's probably what happened earlier on in my career at Maryland because it was me, Frank Reich, and Stan Gelbaugh with the three quarterbacks that initially started with Bobby Ross, our coach. And once we started having success under that coach with that offense, now all these other quarterbacks wanted to follow behind us, and it's one of the reasons why we had so much success in the 80s. So I kind of feel like that's where we are right now in the 2022 season, going into the 23 season and the recruiting season. So I think Locks has done a really, really good job, guys. It's not easy, and I think he's rebuilding it the right way. It's certainly not easy, Boomer. And you talk about Talia obviously getting a chance to watch him, and having a quarterback like that definitely changes the public perception of the program a little bit. What have you kind of thought of his three years at Maryland, what he's done on the field, obviously, has, has passed you and some records as well in the school. We don't count those, though. We don't count yeah, them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what do you think the next step is for him, especially if he can return for a fourth year next year and maybe uh, lead this team to new heights again? You know what? I hope he returns for a fourth year. I know that the other guys in the roster probably that are playing quarterback don't because that would probably mean that they're going to get less playing time, you know, in this way it is in college these days. Um you know, I, I, like I said, I think he's part of the reason why Locks is having success, and that's set, setting the foundation for recruiting and bringing other players in, whether it either be via the transfer portal, which seems to be a big thing nowadays, which is unfortunate, but also getting these kids to come out of high school uh, to come and play at the University of Maryland. You know, University of Maryland, while the stadium is not as big as some of the other stadiums, it has everything that you want. It's got the Under Armour Performance Center. It's got great uniforms. It's got a it's got a great feel to it. And, you know, it's fun watching those games with that Bird Stadium filled up because I still call it Bird Stadium, by the way. Uh, when I see it filled that way, it makes me think about, you know, 1982 and 1983 when we were selling it out and we had to bring in temporary stands to fill it out and all that other stuff. So, I feel like there's a rebirth that is happening and it's because of, uh, is it, is it Tulia? I guess it's Tulia, right? So it's because of him and because of his name recognition that locks is able to build off of that. So the future should be right guys. I don't know if we'll ever get to sec levels of LSU and Auburn and, and Alabama and all those crazy schools that have so much money behind them that it's just, you know, it's, it's an endless pit. Uh, so Locks has got his work cut out for him, but he loves Maryland and I love what he's doing for us. Yeah, you, you of course know this to build a good football program. You have to have a good uh, fan base, of course. And you know that's been a big discussion this season. Maryland had the second to worst fan attendance in the entire yeah. Big Ten. Only Northwestern was worst. You know, is that something you look at as just like an innate disadvantage because it is, is, is Maryland? There's not that football culture. Or how do you fix that exactly? Well, winning is the only way that you fix it. So in 1981, uh, when I started my sophomore year, we weren't a very good team. I think uh, I want to say we won 4-7 or 4-6-1, and one, something like that. Um, and then the next year, Bobby Ross came in, and we started at Penn State. We lost a really high-scoring, uh, tight game. And then I think we came home and lost a tight-scoring, high-scoring game to West Virginia, and then we took off. And then once we started winning and people saw exciting football, they wanted to come and watch it in person. And I remember my senior year, I think every one of our games was sold out because we were in the top 10. 
And when you get to that point, that's when people start noticing and start showing up. So I know it's a little bit disappointing that we have a, a large swath of the other fan bases coming to Bird Stadium when they're there. But uh, the fact of the matter, the Big Ten has been financially good for the University of Maryland. I don't necessarily know that it's been great for attendance. You know, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia, when I was in school, you know, all those games sold out just simply because of the proximity and because of the built-in rivalries that were there. Right. And you talk about winning, which compared to the SEC, might not ever reach that level. And obviously Coach Locks has his work cut out for him at Maryland. But now that Locks has been here for some time, taking this program in the right direction, marginal improvements year by year, what kind of job do you believe he's done? And on, on the other hand, is he someone that you've been able to build any sort of relationship with during his time? In yeah, I, I know Locks. Of course I know Locks. I've had lunch with Locks. I've sat down. I can listen to him talk football and talk recruiting. I mean, like there's nobody better uh, at selling our school. I can tell you that right now. And the fact that, you know, he's still very close with Ralph Friedgen, who's a very dear friend of mine and somebody who I admire and respect as a football coach makes me feel good about where the program is going. And uh, Locks gets it. He gets the political side of it. He gets the football side of it. He gets the recruiting side of it. He's trying to, to build a winner there. And I think he's well on his way doing that. So I, I, I appreciate him. I, you know, somebody wanted, needed to want, really want the job because it, it's not an easy job. And he wanted this job. And he left Alabama to get this job. And that's all you need to know about how committed he is to the program. So he doesn't have, I don't, you know, to me, I don't think he has his eye on another job somewhere else. He, this is his job that he's always wanted. This is the job that he's always going to keep. And this is the job he's going to be most successful in. So at least from a consistency standpoint, Maryland has that going for it right now, that the coach that's there now is going to be the coach that's there four years from now, if you're a young recruit. Yeah. And then, not not only that, but also he took over that program when it was controversy riddled, kind of rock bottom, and he's he's created the standard where they are bowl eligible every single season. Um, I kind of want to go a little bit big picture, and you know, we were talking earlier, Ben and I, like Maryland could have won the Big Ten West this year if they were in the Big Ten West. Obviously, the the Big Ten championship will be Michigan Purdue. Maryland easily could have won that Big Ten West if they yeah. were there. What are your thoughts just on divisions? Um, kind of, we, I think the reports are that there's not going to be divisions soon, and but just the expansion too of the Big Ten as a whole. You know what? I I don't want divisions. I I, I wish they would just let everybody kind of play and then take the top two teams and let them go play for the championship, even if they've already played each other earlier in the year. And I don't care if it's Ohio state and Michigan. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I hope Purdue wins, believe it or not. I want them to win, yeah. uh, but I don't think they really have a, a chance in hell to beat Michigan, but um, it's just a, it, it college football, college sports in general has changed over the last five years significantly. And we're going to see five power conferences. Uh, I, I would think that maybe, the Big Ten is going to maybe even expand further, but you know, I, I'm how many more teams you're going to add? It's going to be like a the like a minor NFL league almost. Mm -hmm. We're getting to that point. But the one thing I will say that the NFL, that the Big Ten has done here is that they've covered the entire country, and I'm going to tell you that Nebraska under Matt Rule is going to be a much better team than they have been previously the the previous you know seven to ten years. Yeah. And I think Matt Rule is going to bring an energy to Nebraska, which is like you know, that's a sleeping giant, you know, and if he can do what he did at Baylor and he did at Temple, uh, they're going to be a bitch to play over the next five to 10 years. So uh, we need to buckle up. We need to support our program. We need to support our coach. 
And we got to continue to, you know, deal with, you know, the shortcomings of maybe the fan base. But, you know, in the meantime, we just still have to support and have pride in our school. Definitely. And you, you talk about the Big Ten expanding might turn from the power five to the power two before we even know it. And you mentioned kind of your thoughts a little bit on, on the transfer portal or earlier with the transfer portal and with NIL and college sports moving in that direction. How hard do you think it is to succeed given the changes? And, and what are your, just your general thoughts on, on where the, the direction is heading? So if I take my own experience and I adapt it to today's rules, I probably would have never played at Maryland because uh, my first year I had to play JV. My second year was my redshirt year. And that redshirt year, I probably would have went right into the transfer portal and wind my way out of school and, and figured out where else I could go play because, you know, the, the coaches were so mean to me and they didn't play me. But uh, it also taught me a work ethic, and it taught me that when I finally did get the job, that I wasn't going to lose it, that it was going to be mine to keep for as long as I stayed there. The other thing I did is I stayed in school for five years. I didn't leave early. A lot of these guys are leaving early now because I enjoyed every ounce of my time at the University of Maryland. Interestingly enough, you know, I worked at Bentley's, and uh, I remember <laughs> the owner of Bentley's, John Brown, the, the, the owner today is the same guy, great guy. Uh, would pay me $5 an hour. And I'm like, five, and I think about that today, and I, and I put that in today's world with the NIL. Uh, I was telling John Brown last week that I think he would have to pay me like $10,000 <laughs> just to show up at his restaurant now, let alone work at it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough uh, environment for schools like Maryland. It really is, because, you know, while we do have one of the biggest alumni uh, populations, it's not as active as some others are. Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And I'm not sure if it's because if it's a state school as opposed to a private school, I'm not really sure. But we have some great, great alum that just don't ever get involved in the athletic side of things. They'll do other things at the school, which is important too. But I just wish there were more people that were giving back to the athletic department and really galvanizing behind like guys like Scott Willard and, and, and Michael Oxley. Because, you know, from the men's side of it, the sports, those are the revenue generating uh, sides of uh, of the school to me like men's basketball now feels good again it feels like there's excitement around it again and that's only going to help when it comes to recruiting and it will help in terms of recruiting more money to the school as well yeah we, we know we obviously you're a football guy but you love your hoops too your thoughts on you've been getting a chance to watch kevin Willer's new new team this year and what do you yeah thoughts? i watched him kill Man, I watched them kill Louisville last night. Are you kidding me? I was like pumping up. I was like, <laughs> all right, we're back. Uh, you know, Kevin did a great job uh, in his previous spot. We all know that. And um, maybe it was time. Maybe Mark Turgeon saw it. Because I, I like Mark Turgeon a lot. And I always thought that he had the school's best interest at heart. And I know the fans were tough on him and his family. And, and hopefully he's doing well. But, you know, uh, nothing can be bigger than the school. And when you get a guy – like Kevin Willard in there and he brings the energy like Michael Oxley does. It shows itself in the players that he recruits and puts out there on the basketball court, man. I, I haven't seen Maryland shoot that good since 2001 for God's sake. Yeah, it was right. awesome. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm texting all my buddies. I'm like, are you watching this? I mean, this is crazy. So yeah, it was, uh, I think we got a, I think we got a really good start to like a new basketball, you know, coach and program and, Hopefully my buddy Gary Williams is happy because he's always miserable when I'm playing golf with him because the basketball team is half-ass. And now hopefully it's going to be like a top 10 program again. Hopefully. Um, and just boomer, if, if you can and still have time, you know, 
looking back at, at your time at Maryland years and years ago, do you have a, a favorite moment or a favorite memory from your time playing football? Or maybe if it was working for $5 an hour at, at RJ Bentley's that you could uh, give us a little bit of a look into? You know, ladies night at the VU was really good back in the day. I don't know <laughs> what it's like now, uh, but it was great, especially when you were the quarterback of the football team. Um, you know, I, it's I, actually, it it's a, actually, a, I was going to say it's called Seastone now. Cornerstone. Ah. <laughs> All right, that's right. The quarterstone. I've been there. I've been there. So uh, I would say, you know, we had my senior year, we played the University of North Carolina in a game where both of us were top 10. We were on ABC. We were the main game that year, that week. And uh, we beat them. I think we either scored a two point play or we held them from scoring a two point play. I can't remember which one it was, but we beat them. And the fans rushed the field. They ripped down the goalposts. They carried us off. Uh, that was my great greatest uh i guess athletic memory um but so many other memories you know going out to ocean city down to annapolis i mean it's such a great school it's in such a great spot uh, i can understand why so many kids want to go to school there and you know it, it's it's interesting ben because a lot of kids here at long island want to go to maryland yeah. and how many people reach out to me to write a letter for them like I, there's nothing i could do I mean, because, you know, if it were me and it were my grades coming out of high school, I don't think I could get into Maryland today, uh, how hard it is to get into that school and how popular it is. So um, all I know is I'm lucky and uh, the piece of paper that I have in the wall is worth a lot more today than it was when I got it. I can tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. Boomer, we really appreciate you taking the time. This was great. All right. You guys got it, man. Have a great day. and Go Terps, boys. Yes, Thanks, sir. Boomer. Thank you, Boomer. All right, guys. See ya. See ya.